0: Welcome to the inaugural season of the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dittman, co-lead of Stoll Reeves Agribusiness, Food, Beverage, and Timber Industry Group. This season, we're interviewing respected industry leaders and discussing how they and their companies are embracing innovation and capitalizing on new opportunities to move their industries forward in an ever-changing world. Subscribe at Stoll.com, that's stoe com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is not legal advice and the podcast doesn't create a client attorney relationship. Greetings listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dittman. Our guest today is so well known in the agribusiness industry that he hardly needs an introduction. I'd like to welcome Jeff Huckabee, president and CEO of Grimway Farms to the studio. Among Jeff's other accolades, he's the recipient of the prestigious 2020 Organic Farmer of the Year Award from Organic Trade Association and the 2019 Produce Man of the Year Award from the Packer Magazine. For any listeners out there who might not yet be familiar with Grimway Farms, Grimway is the world's largest grower, packer, and shipper of carrots. Grimway grows over 40,000 acres annually throughout California and six other states. And Grimway's organic division, CalOrganic Farms, is the largest single grower of organic vegetables in the nation with over 53,000 acres growing over 65 different fruits and vegetables. Together, Grimway and CalOrganic cultivate over 100,000 acres and have 18 processing facilities in seven states. You'll find Grimway's products in most every major retail grocery store under Grimway Farms, Bunny Love, and CalOrganic brands, as well as under private label production. In this episode, Jeff and I will be discussing his views regarding the state of agriculture and organic farming today. Jeff, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Adam, thanks for having me.
0: You bet, so uh, Jeff, look, I think uh, most people who know you know that um, uh, your kind of depth of involvement and experience in this industry give you a lot of perspective. And so I wanted to start today kind of big picture, right? I wanted to give our our listeners a sense of what your perspectives are on, you know, what is the state of agriculture um, in the United States today? You know, what's the landscape? What's the general landscape that, that, um, that we're up against and what are the challenges that growers and producers are facing today?
1: Sure, well, you know, Thanks for the opportunity to be able to discuss this. Uh, I I look at it two ways. One, um, and we'll talk about it probably a little bit later, we just went through a pandemic where the American farmer was able to keep all the shelves in the grocery stores filled every day. You didn't see people panicking because there was no produce and fresh produce on the You know out on display like there was water and toilet paper so you have to hand it to the american farmer that we were able to keep things going when there was panic buying and stuff but at the same time when you look at what's happening now and here in the near future we have less water we have less land and more mouths to feed every single year and so it it puts a a stress on those that are left farming and in the companies the small farms the large Scale agro farms. It does. It, it, everyone has a part in this, and the pressures going forward are are quite extreme. And I know we can get into some of those going forward. But at the same time, the price of food has stayed relatively low, and uh, some of that's been by uh, force, by you know maybe uh, retailers not wanting to pay more and, and 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 put it back on the backs of the farmers. But uh, right now you know, the American farmer is extremely strong. And uh, as far as being able to produce what we need, going forward will be, there'll be some challenges.
0: Yeah, so Jeff, let's talk a little bit about what some of those those challenges are um, from, from your perspective. I mean, you hear, um, you know, you hear people talking about things like, um, you know, water um and the the availability of water um uh, you hear uh, people talking about making sure that the supply chain kind of remains intact what are what are your thoughts on some of those challenges
1: yeah and those challenges are real adam when you look i think the the thing that everybody's talking about right now is climate change and you know as, as someone that is uh very dependent on the climate and are the outcome of everything we produce is based on the climate, whether it's hotter or colder than normal, whether, you know, it, it, there's a big drought going on or excess rainfall, depending on where you're farming. That's, you know, really the, the, the key driver to success for the farmer. We can do everything right and still have a disaster because of Mother Nature. And then sometimes we make a lot of mistakes along the way, and the weather's just so good that you have really good crops. And so, uh, if you're going to take credit for those really good years, you better take credit for the bad years too, because the uh, <laughs> weather just plays such an important part of it. But when, so, when we talk about that climate change, you know, what is happening with the climate? I can tell you that in my 30 plus years of growing carrots, we see the climate changing in some of the different areas. I'm not saying, uh, you know, what's happening? Why is it happening or anything like that? I'm just saying that we've had to adapt our planning schedules. We've had to start some seasons earlier. We had to get out of other areas quicker because then maybe it's freezing sooner. Um, but here in California, where the majority of our production is, most of it is around a rainfall, snowpack and, and just irrigation in general and we are learning how do we deal with a different climate at least here in the last 10 years or so that uh when you talk about rainfall it, it, it that's the major impact is now we're seeing more of our precipitation coming as rain instead of snowpack so for years and years you loaded up the mountains with snow Over the summer, it would slowly melt. There were enough dams and reservoirs around that it could keep those fed. And then we were able to move the water around the state and and go all the way through the, the dry, hot summer. The problem we have now is we're getting more of it in rain. And when it comes, it comes quickly. And we don't have the infrastructure in place to capture it all. So a lot of it makes it straight out to the ocean. Then we're left in the middle of the summer with uh, dry reservoirs and not a lot of surface water uh, being allocated to the farmers, like historically we've been able to to have. So, so to Adam, to me, that's one of the big ones that we are dealing with every day. And for Grimway Farms and CalOrganic, that's one of the reasons why we're now in seven states. If you went back, you know, just you know, fifteen years ago, we were in two now we're in seven um we're moving to the southeast we're in the northwest we're in the center of the u.s we are up and down the state of california because you've got so many microclimates, and california is such a great place to do to grow Uh, i started to say do business but that's becoming more and more difficult from a regulatory (laughs) uh in environment every year but from a growing standpoint with the the seasons that we have here it's just an ideal place but we're not able to depend on it like we used to. So that right there is probably one of the biggest changes that Grimway and Cal o has seen over the last few years is where can we continue this year round production and do it economically and have year round supply. Year round supply is extremely important to the retailer. They want to make sure that every time you and I go to the grocery store that that product is there, looks good and high quality every single day, not once a week or skip a week here and there. So uh, the, the climate is, is, a, is a major issue. How do we capture rainfall and how do we prepare ourselves to going forward?
0: Yeah, that, that makes uh, entire sense to me. I'm, I'm curious, um, Jeff, you talked about your geographical diversity um, in terms of your 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 growing areas, and um, you know, in California, of course, there's the you know w- when we come to the water question, right? There's 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 the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, sigma, um, and you know, th- I'm sure that has some bearing um, on <laughs> how you um, you know plan and and, and manage the farm. Um, are you seeing that in your other growing regions? Um, um, groundwater management uh, legislation, um, or is that something that's just not on the table yet in your other growing regions?
1: You know, Adam, it, it's interesting, you know, California being this huge agricultural state and really we're kind of behind the times in managing water and allocating water. You look at some of the areas that, uh, that we, we're farming in Colorado or up in uh, you know, the Pacific Northwest or even the Southeast, We know going in, this is how much water you get with this piece of land or you can buy more water rights or you can do things. California has been the wild west. You just go pump, you drill a well wherever you want and everyone produces whatever they want. That's led to some maybe mismanagement, Uh, I can tell you that Historically, that wasn't something that we paid a lot of attention to. We knew we had the wells we could pump, and, and now we're seeing some depletion in the basin and some things that, that's not sustainable going forward. Some of it is maybe overproduction, but some of it goes back to that climate change when now we don't get the surface water from maybe Northern California brought down to the Central Valley that we used to. So there are some things that are gonna have to change going forward, ground's gonna be fallowed. You know, we we have a big investment in a lot of ground throughout California. Unfortunately, we're not gonna be able to farm a lot of it. Uh, There's a lot of permanent crops out and around that people are going to take the water and save their permanent crops versus grow vegetables. So uh, things are gonna change uh, dramatically over the next 10 to 20 years in California. Some of it is very necessary and others, you know, we'll see if it's overregulated or if the water distribution is where it needs to be. And I think that's what everyone is going through right now, trying to understand that and the effects of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that you know, that it's an interesting challenge, but um, one that I'm sure you'll rise to. So, Jeff, you know, another thing that, um, you know, in, in a lot of the industries that our firm represents, you know, another thing that we're hearing, um, and this is true for, you know, um, you know timber and forest products is true for, um, you know, food and beverage, uh, agriculture, consumer products. But, you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk, especially, you know, during the pandemic about kind of constraints on supply chain. And logistics uh, providers, and you know, it seems like almost every day on the radio you hear something about you know a shortage of truckers. And I'm curious um, if you view that as a, a long-term challenge for um, for uh, players in the agribusiness industry.
1: Yeah, I do, and it, it's very real. Um, just like all of your other, uh, you know. Um, the companies that you're dealing with, uh, we're having tremendous problems, mostly on the logistics side, but when you look at the cost pressures that are coming, they're everywhere, right? So we use wood pallets. We know what's happening in the lumber industry and with with the price of wood, they're becoming scarce and and they're hard to get, but you've got to have premium, good quality pallets or you worry about food safety. and, And so there's this trickle effect that goes throughout the supply chain Our corrugated I was just told yesterday, all of our corrugated boxes. We're seeing a six percent increase this year. We were told yesterday in corrugated, so the supply chain is going to be um, disrupted in um, you know whether it's supply, actual true supply, or the cost of these particular goods and services that that we use, and then all that goes into the to after we're farming the product or while we're farming the product during the packaging and all that, and then finally the distribution and. You know, we talked about early on, you know, a, a little bit of the pandemic and how all the stores were kept fully stocked with fresh produce and the, the American farmer and all the hard farm workers were considered essential. So we worked all through COVID. We didn't work from home. We were here every day. We, we you know, did everything we can to protect everyone, but we needed to keep the nation fed. But that only goes to a point that we need the logistics and transportation group to take it and distribute it from that point and they did an amazing job keeping our product on the road and keeping it going right now though things are really tough the cost with fuel and uh, insurance and some of the regulatory issues that are going on with trucks and things we're finding it very difficult to get enough truckers to haul our product here to the east coast and even bringing our carrots out of the, the desert of, um, you know, Southern California up, to, up here to Bakersfield, we're seeing big issues with that. The price to deliver our product to the East Coast, where the majority of the people are, where the majority of our products go, has almost doubled here just in the last few months. And, you know, and people are willing to pay it just to get the trucks. We know that there's issues at the ports. The ports are stacking up with not being able to get the product shipped out. You know, If you're going uh, to Japan or you know someplace like that, that we send our juices. Logistics is becoming very, very difficult and very concerning going forward. I, I, I don't think we sit around and say, well, we just need to get to this point and we're good. We're, we're concerned. How are we going to continue to do this and, and get our products spread throughout the US uh, you know, we, our product goes to all 50 states and then about 20 different other countries. And and we're relying on the transportation logistic groups to get it there, get it there quickly. So, you know, it's a perishable product and we need all the help we can get. Um, but that is very concerning on just the numbers of available units uh, right now that we see and I don't see that going away. I think it's going to be a problem here, you know, throughout the rest of the year. And, and my crystal ball is as far as that going forward, it's a little bit more difficult for me to be able to pr- project. But this is going to be a tough year when it comes to uh, logistics.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that that's kind of the concern we're hearing. You know, hopefully there's some some light on the horizon with um, uh, you know some easing of hours of service kind of requirements and things like that. And and you know, hopefully the the U.S. logistics you know providers will be able to kind of rebound and and, and um, will get more um, energetic people in, in the in the workforce um, to to make sure that these farmers who are like you said feeding America um, are able to get their their product onto the table. Right would um jeff uh y- unless there's anything else you want to say kind of about the state of agriculture generally i wanted to do some drill down um into um organic and um you know obviously grimway was a pioneer in organics um you know dec- decades ago and when thinking about organics i would say that at least I would guess that, you know, most people who think about organics, you know, have this um, kind of bucolic vision in their mind of, you know, small farms, small fields. Um, in, in when Grimway, you know, started, um, I can imagine, you, you know, you guys only had uh, just a couple hundred acres of, of organic fields. But now, of course, that's grown uh, to, I think, um, I, I saw over 53,000 acres of organic fields today. Um, and that makes Cal Organic, uh, the largest single grow of organic vegetables in the nation, you know, if we've got the numbers right. And so, um, you know, I can imagine that, you know, the tremendous growth, um, has brought with it, it's fair share of challenges, but you've kind of shown that organics can be done successfully at scale. So my my question for you is just simply, you know, what do you think are the keys to successfully taking organic production, um, to that level of scale and maintaining it like you have?
1: Yeah, Adam, I think that's a, that's a great question. And I think w- what we've done through a lot of trial and error and probably more error than uh, success at times is try to figure out how do you do organics at scale? And you, we've learned early on, you do not cut corners in organics. And, um, and the integrity behind organics is, is so important or the American consumer to make sure that they understand what they're getting. What's the difference between conventional and organic? We grow both. And we know that we have consumers that want organic and they will not buy conventional. And we also know that they have uh, others that feel very comfortable with the conventional produce. We feel comfortable producing both of them. We feel they're very they're very safe and uh But there are differences in in how you grow and some of the outcomes that that are associated with organics. We made a big bet back in the late 90s that um, organics would would work out. But if you back up a little bit before that, we didn't get into organics so that we could um, have a different market or do something that's, you know, uh, Maybe a niche, or um, you know, something short-lived. We did it because we were a carrot company. We're trying to grow carrots. One of the biggest problems is you've, especially most people know that the baby carrots are young. Very, uh, they're mature, but they're they're very much younger than a full cello carrot. We harvest them 30 to 45 days early, but they're long and skinny, and we cut them into two-inch pieces one of the issues you got to have a long straight carrot to cut them into two inch pieces one of the issues with growing carrots you have a lot of nematode problems under the soil and pythium and you had things that were forking carrots stubbing them making them crooked so you had these fumigants that would help clear up the soil and allow that carrot to grow nice and smooth and, and, and long and straight back in the late 90s there was And there still continue to be a push to get rid of a lot of the fumigants that were out there. And I think Grimway looked at it, and I know Rod and Bob looked at it and said, we're in the carrot business. If we have a bunch of forked and crooked and and carrots that we can't cut and peel, we're going to be in trouble because our business is based on that. So go out and figure out a way to grow them without those chemicals. That's how we got into the organic side of it. It was figure out how to grow these things, and can we do it, and can you do it profitably? So we failed a lot in the beginning, but what we realized was, all right, let's go back. How do we really work our soils to build the soils up to where they are healthy and living and that you aren't uh, fumigating and, and destroying all the bad uh, you know, microbes that are there? but you're also destroying the good ones. So how, how, how do we build back healthy populations? And that's when, you know, obviously I got involved in it, did a lot of trials and, and realized that, hey, there are certain crop rotations that build upon the other. And when that happened, those carrots were healthy they were strong and straight and and we did not have the disease pressure so that built upon all right maybe we have something here maybe we have a way of figuring out how to do these without these these pesticides and and in these man-made uh, fumigants so that led to all right the way it worked was we had a bunch of rotational crops in between you grow carrots once every third year Years, you know, in between, you couldn't just leave fallow. You couldn't push it to one and every year or every other year. And, you know, so I'm out there growing broccoli and cauliflower and, and lettuces and then these cover crops to rebuild the soil and get organic matter. And once we figured out, all right, there is an organic way of doing this to keep the soils healthy, to build them and build for tomorrow instead of just the quick Crop that you had in the ground right now. And we saw huge success with that. Matter of fact, within five years of really trying all those rotations, we noticed that our yields and our quality were close to the conventional yields and quality. Now it came with a huge cost because there were a lot of extra things that we had to do with it. But we learned that it could be done. And you're right, we started with a few hundred acres. We had single beds planted throughout a field of a particular crop. And we learned to cultivate them, we learned to weed, we learned where to place the fertilizers. The fertilizers that are used in organic react completely different than conventional fertilizers that are quick acting. And so usually when you're farming conventionally, you are feeding that crop right then and there for what it needs. Organics, it's almost like you're feeding next year's crop today. And so you're always looking ahead and trying to figure out, how do I continue to make the soil healthier and not deplete certain things for next year? And as long as I do it for next year, then that crop will be better and better and better. So we found this path. And we grew one row at a time, then it was two rows. Next thing you know, the planter's doing six beds or eight beds and we're, our fields went from, uh, you know, two acres of beets to 20 acres of beets, but we couldn't change how we were doing it. We still had to side dress them with the same fertilizers. We had to weed them at the exact same time. We had to pre-germ weeds. Nothing I can tell you, Adam, today has changed from the first few hundred acres to the way we farm today organically, except for we don't make maybe quite the mistakes that we did before. We figured out timing on fertilizers that need to put, be put in so many days ahead of the crop, et cetera. And with that, we've been able to take it to scale. So now instead of having a field, an 80 acre field with 20 different items in it, we have a lot of 80 acre fields with one single item in it and the next field over has another single item in it. That farm manager is still in that same area looking at all those crops, but it's at scale. We still cannot cut corners and you cannot get behind. You don't have these magic tools to all of a sudden catch up. If You get behind in organics, you're usually done for the season, but, We have now proven, not only can we get similar yields and quality day in and day out, our organic carrots are higher yielding and higher quality than our conventional carrots. The organics have passed that. And I know people say, ah, we don't believe that. Usually it's a, you know, you only get half the production. When done right, we have found on these 65 different items that we do that you can exceed conventional yields over and over again. And, but it's not easy. It's a system that's in place. You're not a carrot, organic carrot farmer anymore. You're an organic farmer growing multiple different crops. You have to cover crop and put back into the soil. All of that comes with a cost. So that's why you see the premium in the grocery store. But it is a huge movement. A lot of people, um, they, they, they're more interested in what's getting put on their their crops and you know and ends up on in the food chain and so we were fortunate we started out just to make sure that we would be able to continue to our business and then figured out a little niche that hey this does work when when you do this we had some great people early on you know danny duncan that started cal organic farms that we bought back in in 2001 to help rotate with our carrots was a pioneer too that just really learned some of these systems we brought this talent in, we we trained people within our company, and now, 20 years later, it's grown to just just be massive. And, and when we go to the retailers today, that's what they wanna talk about. They don't wanna talk about conventional carrots, although they may buy millions and millions of pounds. They wanna talk about what are you doing organically? How can you guarantee us a surety of supply year round and high quality? And luckily we've positioned ourselves with buying the right ground in the right areas that we can do it year round. And the, the big bet has is, is, is paid off the last few years.
0: Well, the, the, the two things, Jeff. One, that's a great segue into my next question about kind of the consumer side and, 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 and the demand for organic. But first, I, before we go there, I'd like to say, I mean, it, what you're describing is a, um, is a philosophy Right. It, it's a it's a, you know, forgive the pun, but it's a it's a long term ground game. Um, you guys had to have been committed to do this the whole time. And, and it sounds like you can't can't relent even for a moment or you kind of set back a little bit on kind of all the laddering um, that you've had over the, the decades that you've been doing it. So very impressive. Um, you know, I I. I I think your company deserves a lot of credit for um kind of maintaining that that ground game to to grow to the level you have so let's let's follow that segue though then into um kind of the consumer side and you know i i'm gonna ask you to uh, kind of get out your crystal ball um so to speak i mean you had talked about you know there are some consumers who you know uh and when i say consumers i mean not only the end the end user who's buying them right and eating them but you know the retailers who are buying them there are some who 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 do still want you know um, conventionally farmed stuff, but but it sounds like there's a growing demand um, for the organic, and you also mentioned that organic um, carries with it a you know a kind of a, a premium, right? But it seems at least anecdotally to me that um, consumers are willing to pay. Um, a premium to know that the products that that they're feeding their children and and themselves um, were kind of brought to their table in a responsible way. So here's where I'm asking you to pull pull out the crystal ball. Do you see a world where in the retail grocery side organic is eclipsing conventional?
1: Yeah, good question. And um, my crystal ball is a little fuzzy right now. So I'd like to look in a little bit uh, better into that. But I go back 20 years ago when, when I was asked to do this, um, I would have never imagined we would be at 53,000 acres today. What you go back 20 years ago, and the consumer, and a lot of times when I talk about our customer, I'm talking about the retailer, and then they move it you know, into into their customer. But our customer were the natural food stores Whole Foods was the pioneer, they were the best, and they really helped us grow because they came and sat down with us and said, we're gonna grow this. We're gonna go from a couple stores to hundreds of stores and we need a supplier that can do it. We worked hand in hand with them. Um, Walter Robb at Whole Foods was very instrumental in helping Whole Foods with that. And he worked closely with, with, with our team to make sure that we could supply them. That launched this movement for us of being able to go out and supply someone, but the wild oats of the world and some of these natural food stores, they, they were huge for us, but that was pretty much it. You go back 10 years ago, and the mainstream retailer all of a sudden said, we better start carrying some organic. Uh, some of them tried it early on, didn't have a lot of luck with it, Um, mostly because availability. Like I said earlier, they wanted surety of supply every single day, not every other day, not every other week. Early on, the acreage was limited. And so the mainstream retailer, they didn't want to mess with. One week it was here, one week it wasn't. But those that grasp it, Costco was an early developer of, we want all organics and worked closely with companies like ourselves. These guys, once they made the commitment, They said, okay, go grow for it, and we will carry this. That momentum, once it started, it allowed us to grow more acres, which makes us more uh, reliable, because instead of having one field, that if you have a hailstorm or windstorm comes through, you knock it out. Now maybe you have two or three fields. You might lose one field, but you still have this product and and surety of supply. Once that happened, and the mainstream retailer saw they could have it day in and day out, they started seeing huge tremendous growth and so then it started shifting okay and then when the mainstream retailer starts carrying it they can really use and sell the volume so now all of a sudden we have this huge growth curve because they're wanting to put it in all of their stores some of them have two thousand three thousand four thousand stores so just a few bags here and there ends up being a, a lot of produce so we uh we we got on that early and we started watching this growth. Every year, it it blows me away, the term, the growth of organic still today, um, that is continuing to happen. And the retailer, when we meet with them, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, we grow a lot of conventional carrots for them and a lot of organic produce. We go in and millions and millions of dollars of conventional carrots. We have a five-minute discussion. Okay, we got it. You guys are great. You're doing a good job now. What are you doing organically? All of our conversations are going to that. Some of the even mainstream retailers are saying, there's a few items that maybe aren't the big movers, and why are we carrying two leaks? Why are we carrying an organic leak and a conventional leak when everyone's not buying leaks every single day. And so if they pay 50 cents more for a leak, why don't we just carry organic? Because then it covers both uh, consumers. I see more and more of that happening. We've dealt with it uh, where mainstream retailers have come to us and said, we're gonna quit carrying both. Can you handle it? And then we've seen it from some of the big guys that said, we'll get rid of it completely. And we're like, wait, we can't even handle that. I mean, that's a lot of volume if you get rid of the conventional. So I think there's this going to be a shift to more and more organics. Um, I don't think it ever completely takes the place of conventional. Conventional, the way the American farmers figured out how to to grow volume and tonnage and and quickly and uh, very affordably, I think um, there'll still be those uh, consumers out there that are fine with it. And, you know, the USDA, FDA, everyone does a great job of enforcing rules and regulations that, you know, they're not poisoning America or anything. So, that, you know, a lot of consumers are, are comfortable with the the conventional production. We have just felt like from a sustainability standpoint, we are switching all of our land to organics, we figured it out, and that's the bet that we're doing going forward. Um, So I do see that there's going to be continued shift. If you looked at carrot sales over the past 10 years, we're not seeing rapid growth year over year of carrot sales in general, but there is a steady decline on the conventional side and a pretty good growth on on organic carrots so that we still see overall growth in the, the carrot market. We're seeing that in a lot of the other crops that we do now. So um, I, I think you'll see more and more organics in the stores, less choice of being able to choose between organic and conventional in some of the retailers. Some of them won't ever uh, leave that, I don't think. Um, but uh, the price point has a lot to do with that. Or Growing organics is, is costly. Between the fertility and the weeding and some of the other things that happen with organics, it comes at a, at a higher cost. We figured the yield out, we figured out the quality, but it's still, when you look at this, every year you're growing a cover crop and you get nothing for it and you're still putting the inputs in it you're disking it under to help your subsequent crops, it comes at a cost. You don't have to do that conventionally. So there's going to be this price premium. I think we've done a good job of narrowing it uh, to where it's affordable for most. but we're gonna to have to have strong regulations to make sure that everyone's playing by the rules, which I do believe in the US is, is happening today. And um, we can't get uh, let the consumer get confused as what's conventional and what's organic. And then you'll still continue to see growth in that. As soon as we have issues with um, the integrity of organics, that could uh, affect this transformation of, of switching more and more conventional products to organic if people don't trust it, and what does organic truly mean? We, we could have some problems, but as long as we stick to these strict regulations, we continue to see people concerned about their health, the environment, what are you doing for the soil, what's happening with the air, all of that. I think we'll continue to see organics continue to grow. We're banking on it. Our retail customers are, are, and partners are asking us to so i don't see it going away anytime soon and and just continuing to strengthen
0: yeah well thank you for sharing your thoughts on that i know asking someone to bring out the crystal ball is always a little uh a little uncomfortable but i appreciate you indulging that and and i you know i i I, i'm hearing the 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 trends that you're raising and and i think that um it's gonna be an interesting thing to watch play out over the next couple of years you know the, the reality is Every year, the population math is that we have more mouths to feed, and we've got to figure out what we're going to be feeding them. Um, So, along that vein, um, Jeff, I just want to end with kind of one um, general question for you, and that's, you know, we're we're looking at a horizon of more mouths to feed, and so obviously, um, you know, having a engaged, um, you know, next generation workforce um, in um, agriculture and farming is of critical importance, but at the same time, there are lots of choices out there for how people choose to make money, how they choose to, um, you know, employ their time and vocation. And I'm just curious for you um, whether you have any, you know, views or what's the case to be made um, to the next generation of farmer that this is, um, you know, a, a worthwhile pursuit. This is something um, that that you can make a, a, a long and happy career in.
1: Yeah, well, you know, uh, I'm obviously very passionate about farming. And I, I think you have to be to be in the middle of it because, you know, you sit here and you put your heart and soul into a crop for 120 days. And then the weather comes and wipes it all out. And you look at it and think, well, start over again because something happened, you know, and we keep doing this over and over again. But then when you do have a successful crop, you realize it's nutritious, it's healthy. We're, you know, we're feeding the nation. So to me, it's a pretty noble uh, profession to be in. And, and, you know, we, we talked about the 40,000 acres of carrots we do, that's 10 million pounds of carrots every day, six days a week, 52 weeks out of the year. And so when you figure 10 million pounds, it, it's, it's going everywhere. It is feeding a lot of people. Um, farming is not easy, and, you know, most professions aren't. But there are a lot of things out of your control that can beat you up, and you gotta do everything in your control that's right. But, but um, the, the, the farming that we see that my grandfather saw, or my dad, and now myself, it's changing over time when, when you look at technology. And for some that wanna resist that, it's difficult and uh, we can't see that happening. To those that love to see advances like myself, it's pretty exciting when the technology, I spent a couple hours yesterday in a field, a few hours outside of Bakersfield here with a laser weeding machine that is self, you know, it's somewhat autonomous going through the field and zapping the weeds. And through, you know, AI and machine learning and all these things, they're able to identify carrots that are planted a half an inch by a half an inch apart that are now, you know, an inch tall and miss the carrot. And zap the weed that's in between them and not touch the carrot at all instead of having to take your fingers and pull that out because it's an organic crop. We don't have herbicides for it. So you look at the some of the technology, and you know, and the guys I'm working with out there are engineers and 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 software developers and stuff, and yet they're in the middle of a farm field in the middle of nowhere. The the jobs are changing. And you know, it, it is pretty exciting to see that. Part of it is because we have to. If we're going to continue to get better yields and increase and feed more people that are out there every day on less, we got to figure out how to continue to in, improve our, our profits so that we stay sustainable going, you know, we got to keep afloat here. But at the same time, um, we need to. Um, create, you know, bigger, better, and, and, and better products that are out there. Some of this technology um, is is forced upon us because the labor to do this is just not there anymore. You know, the the guys we had working for us, the farm workers work their tail off. They work in the the cold, in the extreme heat, in the rain, the snow. It doesn't matter. They don't stop because people want to eat. So we continue to work there's a lot of people that don't wanna do that anymore. And so even when we do get those people, they don't work quite the way they did 20 years ago. So the workforce, is, it's tough to find, and maybe they're not as uh, efficient or you know they don't quite do the job that they used to. So now we're having to mechanize these things. Weeding is a huge thing in organics to be able to take and pull out every single weed that, that is there. And to watch this machine go through and you know, a guy's got a little remote control at the end of the field and it's going up and down and it's sapping these, it's pretty exciting going forward. And more and more of that is happening. We're using more data and analytics. I think farmers have a tendency to be way behind on that versus some of the other industries. We're adopting that and and trying to predict and do a better job on our end of what's coming. So uh, I think it's an exciting, arena to be in. Um, There's lots of jobs available because not everybody, you know, they think of, well, I don't want to get in a truck and drive around for 12 hours, seven days a week. We don't get the weekends off because the crop doesn't get the weekends off it. You know, it just keeps growing or when the weather gets bad is when you go to work even harder because you're trying to protect the crop. Not everyone wants to do that and, and work, you know, 70, 80 hours a week. We have some things we have to work on as an industry to prevent people from working 70, 80 hours a week year round because we're not seasonal in our business. Um, but I would think uh, it's, a, it's a great profession to be in. It, it, to me, it's pretty noble and honorable to be able to, to do this and, and feed as many mouths as we do and, and do it with something that tastes good. It's good for you. It's not, uh, man, should I eat this or not? You know, What's it gonna do to my body? You know, it's very healthy and, and nutritious.
0: Jeff, that's great. Thank you for for sharing that perspective. And um, I, all I can think of, you know, whenever I talk to you, is is what you said that you're passionate about this. And I appreciate you coming in today and sharing with our guests your passion and your kind of your outlook and perspectives on uh, agriculture today in the U.S. Jeff, thank you very much for coming. Uh, it, was, it was a pleasure having you.
1: Yeah, no, Adam, thanks for having me. Uh, I enjoy talking about this subject, and and uh, like I said, it is a great profession and. Uh, uh, just appreciate being able to, to discuss a little bit of that with you today. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted podcast. To follow along and get additional insights from each episode, visit stole.com. Please also take a moment to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.